0: I want you to get Psalm 37, and then I want you to get Romans 16. Psalms 37, Romans 16. we got about 10 other verses, but I think we'd run out of fingers. So we'll just, we'll just start here this morning. And what a great text for our year. Psalm 37, verse 23. The Bible says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to understand what it means to be good. Lord, there's lots of controversy about that in the world, but your word makes it very clear. So please help us to have your mind today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard this? Someone says, He doesn't go to church, but he's a good man. How many of you ever heard that? Right? How about this? They go to church and they're a good man. You ever heard that? So now here is the the title of my message. is just the good man. The good man. There's only one problem with this concept of the good man. He doesn't exist. So the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Well, that means that nobody's steps are ordered by the Lord. Let's, Let's look at it from the Bible. So here's the idea. The good man does not naturally exist. Look at Romans. And here's why we're studying this. Romans chapter 16, look at verse 19. The Apostle Paul has been writing to the church at Rome, believers at Rome, and he has been teaching them about Bible doctrine. He taught them in Romans chapter 1 about the light of creation, Romans chapter 2 about the light of conscience, and then in Romans chapter 3 about the light of the gospel, the light of Christ. And then he goes on to explain to them how they should live based on the doctrine that he's taught. So now in verse 19, he says, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. So people the the world knew about the believers, the behavior of the believers in Rome. Wouldn't it be cool if people in Sydney, Ohio said, I know about your church. The people that go there are different. There's a difference in their behavior. Wouldn't that be a blessing? So now look at what it says. Verse 19, we'll begin at the beginning again. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So here's what Paul says. You as a church are doing great. Your behavior is really something. Now, he couldn't say that to the church at Corinth, could he? Now, that place was a mess. But here at the church at Rome, they were were behaving well. But he tells them, even you who are behaving properly, I want you to be wise about that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. I was watching a football game last night. And have you noticed the movies that are out right now? They're all about evil. Have you seen that movie advertised, Legion? How many of you have seen that advertised? Let me just tell you, they're messing around with stuff that they shouldn't be messing around with however they can picture the evil of satan and fallen angels and all that stuff and i assume that's what it's about they can't come close to the reality we shouldn't be playing around with that stuff i saw an advertisement for another movie called werewolf just and you're watching it and it's just evil isn't that right and it seems like as believers we are inundated with things that are evil all the time, and yet the Bible tells us we're supposed to be simple about things that are evil, and we're supposed to be wise or learn about things that are good. So I'm trying to be obedient to that text this morning, and I just felt like uh, that scripturally, there's no way that we can introduce this theme without learning what good is and what it's not. So now... Look with me at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. This is the first first or second verse that pops into my mind when I think of this subject. Luke chapter 18 And look at verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, he's, this ruler is speaking to Jesus Christ. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if it was me, I'd tell him, you must be born again. That would be my immediate answer. How many of you would do the same thing? Jesus doesn't do that. It's interesting. And and this um, this is where I think it would really help us to understand the way that Jesus answers questions. One of the first things that you need to do when someone asks you a question before you answer it is to determine the basis or the premise on which the question has been asked. Jesus Christ immediately refuses the premise of the question. Look at what he says in verse 19. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one. That is God. All right, so we learn a couple of things. Number one, Jesus Christ wanted this man to understand. Either you understand that I'm God and am good, or you're calling someone good that is not God, and you shouldn't be calling him that. He's establishing who he is right here. So now we've, we've already learned something. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. But then it says here there's none good but God. There's none good but God. So now we're starting to learn this concept that a good man does not naturally exist. He does not naturally exist. Now let's read on. Verse 19 again. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. All right. So here's a guy. He hasn't stolen. What are the things that he has not done? He hasn't committed adultery, he hasn't killed, he hasn't stolen, he's not lied, and he has honored his father and his mother. Now, first of all, how many of you believe that? No, I don't believe it. But in his heart, maybe he believes that he has done those things. And notice that Jesus doesn't challenge him on those. Now, do you think Jesus could have challenged him on those? Of course he could. Of course he could. What he does here is he moves on. Look at what he says. Now, when Jesus, verse 22, Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, Sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Look at what Jesus says. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful. He said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So what is this saying? Rich people can't go to heaven? Well, if that's the case, none of us can go to heaven because based on the world's standards, we're all rich. Amen? I mean, we got it made. You know, we're the only poor people that drive to pick up our welfare checks. You know what I mean? It's just, it's amazing. We were a very, very wealthy, very wealthy country. But what is he talking about here? Here's what happened. You have a rich man who has been trying to be obedient to the law. He comes to Jesus Christ and he says, how can I go to heaven? And Jesus immediately goes to the Ten Commandments. What's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? The purpose of the Ten Commandments is not showing us how to be perfect. It's showing us that we can't be. So he lists a few of the Ten Commandments, and the guy says, Yeah, I've done those. I'm good there. So now he says, Go and sell all that you have. And he goes away sorrowful because he was very rich. The problem was he was violating the Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet. And Francis Schaeffer said, You won't break any of the first first nine of the Ten Commandments if you don't first break the tenth, which is Thou shalt not covet. So Jesus immediately, from the law, shows him that he is not good. He says, No one is good but God. That's the foundation for our understanding of this passage. How many of you believe Jesus Christ? But here's what we do. We have have two different groups of people that I want to talk to right now. Number one, we have lost people, people who are not born again. And you somehow in your mind think that you can be good enough to go to heaven. Well, you can't be. We're going to look at that in a few minutes. You simply can't be. You know why? Because no one's good. There's no one that's good. Then the second group of people that I want to speak to are us who are believers. We interact in this body of Christ as believers. And here's what we do. I, as a believer, might get mad at Jimmy because of his behavior. I'm going to expect him to behave in a certain way. And when he doesn't behave in the way that I think he ought to behave, Well, then I'm going to get discouraged and not come to church anymore. Do you know what I know about Jimmy? He's not good. (laughs) Do you know what Jimmy ought to know about me? I'm not good. I'm not good. You know, you won't be so surprised. You won't be so surprised when you find out someone's human. If you realize that from the beginning. You realize we're just people. We mess up. How many of you have ever started saying something to your wife and you realize this isn't gonna work out well? That's not what I meant. You know? Your hair finally looks good. <laughs> you know, something <laughs> like that. You know? Why didn't you make this recipe 30 years ago? You know? Just it doesn't you're trying to give them a compliment, it doesn't come out right. Why? Because you're a man. (laughs) And here's the deal, ladies. If you understand that your husband is basically incapable of communication, then you're not going to get your feelings hurt when he says things the wrong way. Amen? How many of you ladies, have your husband has ever upset you by the way he said something? You've got to understand that's just the way that he is. It's the way that he communicates. And you've got to try and find a way to love him in there somewhere, right? How many of you men have ever said something that you thought was perfectly clear? You had made yourself. Oh, they're all jumping up right away. You know that you were perfectly clear in that. And all of a sudden, you know, you say something like, You look nice today. Why do you hate my mother? You know, <laughs> where did that come from? See, here's the deal. We have to understand, all of us are sinners, we're all fallen, the things that I want to do, I don't do, the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do, who can deliver me from the body of this flesh, if we will simply understand that even believers, folks, we're just not good, you're not going to be so surprised when you find out someone is human, if you start there, amen? So the first thing we've got to understand is we're not good. Go to Psalm, the 14th Psalm. I've had people say, I can't believe a preacher would act that way. (laughs) And you know what? They were probably right. I'd probably done something that I shouldn't have done. But sometimes I want to say to them, I can't believe you'd make a preacher act like that. You know? All right. Now, look what the Bible says. Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from the 1800s, listen to what he said. He, he said, this is the world's foolish creed. The words, The world's foolish creed. In our Sunday school class, we've been watching a debate between Christopher Hitchens, an atheist, and William Lane Craig, an evangelical scholar. And Hitchens is defending the proposition that there is no God. So he might as well put a sign right here that says, I am a fool. Right? This is their foolish, the world's foolish creed. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now look at this. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Does that leave anybody out? So here's the idea, man. When we start to get our, when we as believers start to get our feelings hurt because of the behavior of others, man, we need to understand we live in a fallen world. Now, sometimes we have high expectations for people that, that they can't fulfill. Have you ever expected more from someone than you should? Um, we have some friends in Tennessee, and their son Judd. How old is Judd? Twelve. Judd just turned twelve, and he's taller than I am. I know you're saying that's not much, but really, that's pretty tall for a 12-year-old. And, but he's been that way since he was little. So here's a kid that's four years old, and he looks like he's eight or three years old, and looks like he's six or seven, and people would expect behavior of him that you really shouldn't expect of a three- or a four-year-old. How many of you have ever seen something like that, right? But here's what we do. We get someone that's been saved for a year or two, and we expect the behavior of a 40-year-old believer person 40 years old in the lord from this person that's been saved for a year or two in discipleship sometimes we disciplers you know know that i tell you we need to have high expectations for our disciples let them know that we expect certain things from them but we need to understand that many times these disciples are immature believers the bible calls them what's the bible call them babes babes and we need to understand that from them but here's a mistake that we make we have a person that may have been saved 10 or 15 years And we expect adult behavior out of them. How many of you have ever known a 15-year-old? How many of you think it's great to toss them the keys and say, go have fun? Good idea or bad idea? And yet, in our Christian walk, we sometimes expect behavior from people that they, they they have not attained that level of spiritual maturity. Do you know why they haven't attained that level of spiritual maturity yet? They're not good. They are people that God is working in. Amen? So we need to expect bad behavior from people. Jacob, don't listen to that part. (laughs) All right, now, here's the idea. This, I think this is really an interesting thing. Keep your place here in Psalm 14. Look at Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 10. Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. How about that? Do you know what's interesting to me about that? This is not a Jewish thing or a Gentile thing. This is not an Old Testament thing or a New Testament thing. This is everybody. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. We are all gone out of the way. We are all sinners. We're all fallen. We all deserve hell. New Testament, Old Testament, Jew, Gentile, don't care what religion you are, we are all deserving of hell. And nobody wants to know the truth. How many of you have been trying to tell somebody the truth and they didn't want to hear it? How many times has someone told you the truth, and you did not want to hear it? I was, uh, Jeff Faggart was in our meeting down in uh, Florida, and he was, I was having him proofread one of the articles in this next issue of the journal that's at the printer now. And he was telling me you know, what a good job we are doing and how great it is that we're doing that. And I told him, I said, Brother Jeff, you really need to write. You have knowledge that people need to get. You need to write. And he said, just like that. He said, we're talking about you right now, not me is that funny? See, here's the deal. Many times we know what we're supposed to be doing and we're not doing it. And when someone points that out to us, we get mad. We don't like it. Do you know why? Because we're not good. We're not good. As a believer, as soon as you begin thinking that you're good, that you're okay, you're going to mess up really bad and make really bad decisions. So what do we do? We begin by understanding that this is the world's foolish creed. Everyone is gone out of the way we're all sinners let me read you a couple of verses oh first of all about the atheist the atheist the fool has said in his heart there is no god you know, you've heard of dial a prayer right they have a dial of prayer for atheists but nobody answers <laughs> you know, who are they going to talk to here's the idea the bible says everybody knows that there's a god james two nineteen says thou believest that there is one god thou doest well the devils also believe and tremble even the devils know there's a God. That doesn't mean that they're born again. It doesn't mean that they're saved. We're watching this debate, and uh, Craig was asking Hitchens, uh, Craig, the evangelical, Hitchens, the, the atheist, to define his position. He says, would you call yourself an atheist? Are you specifically stating that there is no God? And he asked him the question for like six minutes. And the, the Hitchens is kind of twisting in his chair and fidgeting. and It's like he was afraid. To actually say where he was. Do you know why? Because he knows in his heart. That there is a God. He knows. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned. We make him a liar. And the word is not in us. Every person. Every person knows that they're a sinner. That's why in every culture, every culture has some kind of sacrifice for atonement. Because every individual knows that they are a sinner. We all know that. We know that we're not good. Why do we know that? Romans chapter 1, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that there's a God. But now I want you to see that there's a practical influence in corrupting morals. Back to, Roman, or back to Psalms chapter 14. If you look at Psalm 14, look at verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now look at verse 4. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and call not upon the Lord? Here's what happens. This is a generation... And he asks rhetorically, is there no knowledge? The world knows that they are sinning. The world knows that they are sinning. I saw a television show advertised um, on one of the, the cable channels. We, we don't have the channel, but I, I saw the title of it. It's called Californication. Do you think the world knows that that's wrong? How many of you think the world knows that that's wrong? They know that that's wrong. And they're thumbing their nose in God's face about it. Have they no knowledge? Yeah. They're saying, watch me, God. Watch me. You've got to understand how evil and wicked the world around us is. And this is where I think parents, you really need to, to wake up a little bit. The styles that they try to impose on your children are not designed to bring them closer to the Holy Spirit. Amen? If you have clothing that is obviously worldly and wicked, and you say, how do I know it's obvious? Every man knows what is worldly. Guys, are you with me on this? Like three of you are. Okay, here, so I'll back up. And uh, let let me define it. Since we only have about three guys in here that know what I'm talking about, let me explain it. If you have clothing that draws someone's eyes to your daughter's body, how many of you think that's godly? And we need some men that are manly enough to say, you're not going out of the house dressed like that. I love you too much for you to dress like that. And that includes tight clothing, Revealing clothing, if you have clothing that accentuates parts of the body that aren't supposed to be accentuated, that is not godly. Is there no knowledge of God? How does the text say it? Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? The Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We need to understand. The Bible tells us to walk circumspectly to be looking around knowing that the days are evil we need to understand that this world is not good the influences on your children are not good the best word that you can learn is no man we've got to get there we've got to understand that the world's foolish creed the practical influence of the world in corrupting morals you see we've got to understand that even the cleanest people that the world has ever known were filthy look at matthew chapter 27 Matthew chapter 27. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 23. Verse 27. Matthew 23. Jesus Christ is speaking unto the Pharisees. And look at verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like unto whited sepulchres. Okay, a whited sepulcher is... Uh, a vault that was made to put dead people in. All right? Whited, they're whitewashed. They're beautiful on the outside. So here's what it says For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy. And iniquity these are the most religious people that ever walked the planet that's what he's talking about on the outside they looked perfect they looked perfect on the inside they were full of dead men's bones and uncleanness so we need to understand religious people are not good how many of you know some religious people that appear to be good yeah yeah we're not good We're not good. There's none that doeth good. Look at Psalm 39. Psalm 39, verse 5. Behold, thou hast made my days as in handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Man in his best state is really nothing. Man, we exalt what we are and who we are and what I can do, and aren't I great? And the Bible says that we are nothing. Now, doesn't that really go against the modern teaching of self-esteem and how how great we all are and, you know, I'm okay, you're okay? We're not okay. We are not good. It doesn't matter how hard you try to be good. When you make decisions on your own, man is naturally evil, naturally wicked, and naturally does not seek after God. The Bible in Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. There's just not. But not only do we do that, not only like that, but let's go back to Psalm 14. The world and sinful man naturally persecutes those that are righteous. Verse 4. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? You see, it's the natural tendency of the wicked man to despise whatever is righteous. That's the natural tendency. And here's how we know. When someone appears more holy than us, we don't like it. When someone holds up a standard that is higher than where we are living, that is offensive to us. Who are you to tell me what to do? And the closer we get to the end, the worse it's going to get. Because the Bible tells us that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. It's coming So the more righteous you try to be, the harder the culture is going to make it. Just like we were just talking about movies. We've talked about movies today. We've talked about clothing today. The world is going to make it to where when you reject that kind of entertainment or you reject that kind of clothing, that you're strange. You're weird. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to make fun of your kids at school. Well, you know what? They'll be okay. We need to be holy people amen? amen amen all right so now um, so who then is good wait the bible is this a true verse the steps of a good man ordered by the lord how many think that's a true verse well then who's good look at psalm chapter 40 <clears throat> this is such a great verse Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. This is another Psalm of David. 53 of the Psalms are identified as a Psalm of David. Verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. (laughs) who's the good man whose steps are ordered by the lord the one that god has reached down into that mess into that muck into that miry pit i had a job when i was in college uh, at u.s steel in gary indiana and my job was uh, i was cleaning they had this they have this continuous conveyor that runs for miles and there's a trench that goes underneath it and they have to keep this conveyor oiled and so there's a trench underneath it with that's full of axle grease I had to get down in that trench up to here in axle grease in, like, 20-degree weather. And you couldn't hardly move. And you know what my job was? It was to reach down and feel around in there and find any pieces of metal or whatever that had fallen and pull them out of that. That's a crummy job. I got to tell you. You say there's no bad work, that's bad work. That was a terrible job that's kind of where we are we are in this evil sinful world but not only are we in that grease, but imagine if that grease was in me that's the state of the unbeliever and what god does is he reaches us down and pulls us out of that miry clay i can tell you this it was very difficult to walk in that grease. And what he did was he reached down and he took me up out of that miry clay. He set my feet on the rock. But he didn't just set me on a rock and say, see you later. He established my goings. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Who is a good man? How do I know who this good man is? Well, first of all, it's one who has been taken out of the miry clay and set on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus, I rest on Jesus Christ. So, who is this man? How how was he identified? Look at Third John, Third John, verse eleven. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, and he that doeth evil hath not seen God. All right, so we're starting to understand who this good person is. He that doeth good is God, is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So here's the idea. The only person that can do good that can genuinely do good, is a person that is of God. Well, we know that Jesus Christ was of God because Jesus told us that, right? He came from the Father. What does of God mean? Well, Jacob is of Jim. He is the result of me. He's my son. Jesus Emanates from or comes from the Father. That's what Jesus Christ said. Here's the idea. Do you know who's good? Those who have been born not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Those are people that are born again. He came unto his own, and his own received him him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. The sons of God. If you are of God, you are a son of God. How do you become a son of God? By faith. You place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You receive his free gift of eternal life. And now you have a new nature, a new nature. And that new nature is capable of doing good through the power of the Holy Spirit. So now the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So we could say the steps of a born again man are ordered by by the Lord but there's something that's very important that you understand. go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse one and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins so you're born again you're actually you're, you're brought to life. Spiritually, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others but god who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with christ by grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in christ jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through jesus through christ jesus for by grace are ye saved through faith And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what's it say here? That God hath before ordained that we should, what? The steps of good men are ordered by the Lord. He pulls us out of that miry clay, that pit, sets us on the rock, orders our goings. We're dead spiritually. He makes us alive. We used to walk according to the course of this world. You've heard me say it before. It's like at Disney World. You know, you get, your kids get to drive those cars, and they're excited that they get to drive. Well, they're not really driving because if they get off, there's a steel rail that keeps them going the right way. I wish my wife had one of those rails. But what, So you have that, that rail, all right? And that's, you know what that is for us, unbelievers? That's the course of this world. If you're not saved, you cannot do good, because Satan has established the course of this world to be against what God is doing. When you're saved, when you are made alive, now you're quickened. You have the Spirit of God, and now God has ordained that you walk in good works. But do you know that it's still possible for you as a believer to walk just like an unbeliever? According to First Peter, you can live in such a way Or 2 Peter, you can live in such a way that you forget that you were ever even saved. You can live like an unbeliever. The problem when we as believers, we think that our sin nature has no power over us. It doesn't if you're walking in the Spirit. But as soon as you start making your own decisions. You know something a Spirit-filled man never does? A Spirit-filled man never does this. I can't believe he treated me that way. I can't believe they acted that way. I deserve better than that. Do you know that a a person walking in the Spirit never does that? What did Jesus do? He remained quiet. He remained quiet. He took it. Do you know that when you're walking in the Spirit, you don't ever have hurt feelings? Do you know it's impossible for a dead man to feel pain? Aaron could give us a demonstration. Eric, it's impossible for a dead person to feel pain. When you are hurt, that means that you are in the flesh. We're supposed to be dead to the flesh. But you don't know what they did to me. Have they beaten you? Have they nailed you to a cross? Have they spat on you? No, they just didn't return your phone call when you thought they should have. Listen, we're not supposed to cause a weaker brother to stumble, but neither are we supposed to be a weaker brother. See, we're supposed to be lifted out of that miry clay, set on the rock, and have God establish our goings in His Word. That's what we looked at last week. He said, guide my steps in thy Word. But if we're not in the Word, if we're making our own decisions, responding the way that our body tells us to respond as opposed to the Word of God, then it's impossible for us to do good or respond properly. We can't do it. We can't do it. Look at what it says. Verse 10 again. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now look at what it says. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made with hands. So this is just you were in the past, but doesn't have anything to do with Judaism. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus Ye who, were, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There's no enmity between Jew and Gentile now. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, "...and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets." Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So here's, here's where this all comes together. Each and every one of us are born again. We're, we're individually lifted out of the miry clay, set on the rock. And then God organizes us into a local church, and we fit together in this church to serve God. The reason we struggle with each other is because we're in the flesh. When we're in the Spirit and functioning in the Spirit, we're using the gifts that God has given to us in this local body to fulfill His mission, which is to reach people for Jesus Christ, build them up in the Word. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But it's interesting how we can get mad or upset about something that somebody said or didn't say, what they did or didn't do, and Satan wins in our lives by pulling us out of the fight. Pulling us out of the fight. And then we as a church are busy patching up wounded feelings instead of leading people to Jesus Christ. See, this is why the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. We need to take the next step. We need to realize that we are sinful people. We are not good people. But the only way that we can do good things is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Go to the book of Titus, chapter 2. Time is short. The Lord is coming back. I believe that He's coming back soon. Do you believe that? Amen. Look at what it says here, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So what brings salvation according to that text? Okay, let's read the verse again, then I'll have you answer the question again. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What is it that brings salvation? Okay, let's read it again, and I'll ask the question again. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What is it that brings salvation? Okay, there's still like only about a third of the church. So let's do it again. I want everybody to be able to understand what brings salvation. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So what is it that brings salvation? Amen. 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 See the Bible says Paul writing to the church at Corinth 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 I would that you all speak The same thing The only thing that brings salvation Is the grace of God I'm not good enough You're not good enough No one out there is good enough The only thing that brings salvation Is the grace of God Now look at what that means to us Look at verse 12 Teaching us So the grace of God that brings salvation, it teaches us something. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What we say is no one's ever had it as hard as we do. No one's ever had to live in a world like we live in. The Bible says that we're supposed to live godly, soberly, and righteously in what? This present world. Right now, today, 2010, we are supposed to live godly and righteous lives, holy, soberly. Why? How are we going to do that? Look at what it says in verse 12, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know what helps us to remain godly in this world? To understand this is not our home. This is not our home. The way God has saved me by grace... He has told me to live righteously and soberly in this present world. I do that by looking for his return. Jesus Christ could come back today. He could come back today. If he's going to come back today, we've seen it in 2 Peter, seeing that these things are true, seeing that this world is going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be? In all holiness and godliness. See, if I understand I'm not good, then I understand how badly I need this. So now I'm looking for the return of Jesus Christ who died. Look at what it says in verse 13 or verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Now, what that is, that redeeming from all iniquity, that's picking us up out of that miry pit and setting us on the rock. Is that right? All iniquity. But that's not the only reason he saved us. Look at what it says. You might want to mark that word and who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I wonder if you're zealous of good works. Zealous. What does zealous mean? We see zeal at football games. We, we see zeal when, when somebody paints himself up, goes outside without a shirt on in 15-degree weather. To scream for their team. Oh, that's just a fan. But a Christian that gets up on Sunday morning, gets dressed in their best clothes because they're coming to see the king, they come and they worship together and they actually give money. They're weird. They're weird. Amen. We are. We are. We're peculiar people that God has set apart to do good works. Who's good? People that are saved, who are doing what God has told them to do through His Word in the power of the Holy Spirit. So now, here's my job. Titus is one of the pastoral epistles. Titus is written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Titus, who's a young preacher, telling him how to pastor. Look at the next verse. These things speak, so we're just going to talk, right? And exhort. You know what that is? I'm going to tell you what to do. You need to to do good. You need to be separate. You need to be holy. I'm going to tell you that. Then I'm going to exhort you to do it. I'm going to say, that means doady. That means you. I want you to be righteous and holy. And when you're not, I'm going to challenge you about it. That's what it means to exhort. It's more than just communicating information. It's saying, Nathan, I expect this to be done, and if it's not, you're going to be held accountable. Boy, we don't want that in Christianity. Why weren't you in church Sunday? Why weren't you here? I just want to go to a church where I'm loved. That's not loving. No, that's not biblical. You see, what I'm supposed to do is tell you that you're saved by grace. That now, since you're saved, you need to live holy and righteously in this present world. I'm going to remind you, Jesus Christ is coming back. Look for Him. He redeemed you from all of your sin. And He has called you to zealously pursue good works. And now I'm supposed to say, Annika, you need to do that. If you're not, you need to get right with God and submit. That's what is that what the Bible says? I don't want to go to a church where I'm preached at. Now look at what it says. These things speak and exhort. Uh-oh. We really don't like this next one. Can the whole church read it out loud for me? And... Uh-oh. Josh, if you're going to be an in-reach leader, you'd better be at church. You have missed way too many. You need to get right with God. You, you committed to do this. If you don't do it, you are not right with God. We're going to remove you from that position. It's time for you to get your life right. Can you imagine if I did that to him? Do you realize how many people would say, I can't believe a preacher would talk to me that way. What does the word rebuke mean? What does it mean? When Jesus rebuked the demons, what did he do? When he rebuked the seas, be still! That's rebuke. That's rebuke. Do you know what our problem is? We don't even understand what it means to rebuke. I'm going to give you a time out. I'll make you sit down. Oh, no, not that. Anything but that. We don't understand what rebuking is. We don't understand it. See, if I'm going to be the pastor God wants me to be, I've got to teach you. I've got to speak to you what the Bible says. I've got to exhort you to do it. And then I've got to rebuke you when you don't do it with the authority of God's Word. God has told me to do this. If I am going to be an obedient pastor, you must do What the Bible says, and I have to hold you to that. I am commanded by the word of God with all authority. That doesn't mean, will you please if you said you would come? We can't do it without you. You're so important. Do You see how sickening that is? How about we just do what we say we're going to do and then accept the rebuke and respond properly to it? Look at what the Bible says. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Look at what it says here. Let no man despise thee. Now, I've told you this before. The way that we use despise now means it's hatred. When they said despise, do you know what it meant? Ignore. Jesus Christ went to the cross despising the shame. He didn't notice it. He didn't count it. Do you know what I'm supposed to do? If I see somebody and I'm preaching and they're doing this, I'm supposed to go, hey, you need to hear this. That is exactly what it's saying. That is exactly what it's saying. It's hard to do that in a long robe. God has said no, I'm going to run around here like a crazy man and make sure that you are hearing what the Bible says and you need to know that you're going to be held accountable for it because that's what the Bible says. And you know what? So am I. So am I. We had a deacon's meeting yesterday looking at the budget. I told the guys, man, if I spend something that I'm not supposed to or we, you don't think that it's right, you've got to come to me and say, Pastor, that wasn't in the budget. We're not supposed to do it. What is that? That's accountability. We are supposed to do that according to the word of God. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Who's good? Nobody. Nobody, naturally. But when Jesus Christ saves us, he redeems us from all, from all iniquity. And then, and then, he redeems us from all iniquity. And then he purifies us as a peculiar people who are zealous of good works. And then he puts a pastor over us to speak it And exhort it and then rebuke in all authority, not letting anyone ignore it. Amen? Amen. Let's take the next step in obedience. Let's take the next step in righteous living. Let's take the next step in submission to holiness and the word of God. If you're not saved, none of this other stuff matters. You need to be born again. If you are born again, stop looking at the failures of of other people. Die to self. Begin living for God and being obedient to His Word. Amen? Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word.